If you have ever had a chance to walk in a forest when the autumn colors are at their peak and the gentle rain makes them even brighter, then maybe you have been in awe. Or you stood at the precipice of the Grand Canyon and looked down the 4,000 feet to the Colorado River below. Then maybe you have been in awe. So welcome to In Awe by Bruce today. You know, I've been in apologetics for quite some time, but an area I'm weak in and feel less confident in is outreach to Muslims. Fortunately today, we get to hear from Dr. Cynthia, a retired physician who directs the American Ethics Ministry and hosts the site we'll want to talk about today, Christians for Muslims. The site seeks to deliver written and video material that is free to train Christians in America and beyond to bring Muslims to Christ, as well as to be a source to attract and answer questions that Muslims might have. So we're going to have those links posted. You'll see them on the website. But Dr. Cynthia and her team that includes former Muslims, such as best-selling author Dr. Nabel Qureshi, deliver spot-on answers for evangelism and discipleship and actually have somebody that they show you that's become a Christian in different ways their life's changing and what they're going through. But they do this as an easy, understandable level for all of us. Dr. Cynthia has been in this field of reaching other cultures for four plus decades. And she studied the original languages and sources of the Muslim Bible, the Quran, to help strengthen her understanding of that religion and to help build the bridges. Let's welcome Dr. Cynthia to the program today. Dr. Cynthia, thanks for joining us. Hey, hello, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, first thing just uh, that people might ask is, I'm calling you Dr. Cynthia, and you're, you're a medical doctor and everything like that. M maybe explain first why I'm just calling you Dr. Cynthia. Sure. Okay, well, first let me mention it's not really important, but just to be correct, because it makes more sense, the ministry I direct is American ethnic. Ethnic, like I'm ethnic sorry. Groups, like Pantata Ethne, like all the ethnic groups to know the gospel. So it has a little different meaning than ethic, which is something that doctors do get involved in. But mainly here today, I would love to talk about becoming our website, which is christianfrommuslim.com, because people can get all kinds of free training there. They don't need to pay thousands of dollars to bring somebody else in to train them. So we're, we're here to talk about that. But hey, as far as why do I go by Dr. Cynthia, there are several reasons. And it started back when I was in the hospital. I was in charge of a few large divisions and it just was simpler and friendlier to go by Dr. Cynthia than by my last name. Mm -hmm. So that started decades ago. And now that I'm working with Islam and there's a lot of security stuff and yeah, I've had threats. So it's easier and simpler just to go by Dr. Cynthia. Now tell us, what was happening in your life? What did God do? inside of you or in your soul that brought you to this point where you're reaching out to the different ethnic groups, particularly Muslims? Well, Bruce, growing up, my family was very involved in two things. One was international business and mm -hmm. the other was missions. So we were into multiculturalism way back there. And actually, I 
thought that I would become a missionary doctor. That was kind of the goal of my life because mm -hmm. I wanted to serve the Lord and I thought medicine was going to be the best way to do it. So by a turn of events, I ended up a missionary doctor, but in a different way. And I can huh. talk about any of those steps along the way that you might like, but certainly I never thought, oh, I'm going to be leading a ministry that reaches out to Muslims. But, you know, that's the way God works in our lives. And I would encourage your listeners in that, that if they look back over their life at things they've done, many of which may even be secular, good in it, God is going to find a way to use that. And I have found that to be one of the very exciting things of being involved in ministry. And by ministry, I mean even just being open to what God is doing in our life every day. I mean, for example, I met somebody in a bookstore who was shocked that I had ever read anything of French literature. And because of that, I had a, a door to share the gospel with them, even though having read that, it was not Christian material, you see. So I'm saying that's how God can redeem everything mm. that we've done in our life. So I'm sure not all of your listeners have only done Christian work, which I sure hope they've done a lot of it, but they might have done some other things. So in my life, where I've been, what I've done, my family connections overseas, having known so many people in different cultures, and just all of that has come together to help me to not only want to reach Muslims, but to be able to do it and then to share it with others. And I thank God that he did bring a wonderful person into my life from the Middle East to train me and drill me and uh -huh. make sure I understood Middle Eastern thinking and how to share with them and all that. So, it, you know, that... God brings people into our lives to enrich it, and then also we enrich other people's lives. When this person was brought in your life, is that what really, had you already had the kind of a burden for the Muslim people, or is that what really changed it and said, you know, here's, here's where I'd like to focus, or here's where I think God's leading me? No, actually, no. It was that person that enabled me to do a better job. What had happened was medicine and family are so overwhelmingly demanding. Uh, being a working mom for so many years of my life, I mean, medicine is more than a full-time job. And then trying to, you know, do a family and raise kids, that is huge. So I, I, there were years I felt like, well, Lord, all I can do is pray and give money. But then I started finding ways around 1995 to reach out again and in a little time of that, I found big ways to reach out to mainly Sikhs, which is a, it's a religion that's kind of half Islam and half Indian mm -hmm. because of where I lived. So actually, nearly 30 years ago, I started leading some big local outreaches and working on, on one with Sikhs. And then in 1999, I went overseas for the first time to work with Muslims. And after working with Muslims there for four summers or parts thereof, that's where I met someone who really challenged me on what was going on with Islam in America. Before that, I was thinking, okay, in America, I work with Americans and Sikhs or, or Hindus or Buddhists I was working with also. Uh -huh. But because there weren't a lot of Muslims in my town, it wasn't a big focus. But after that person asked me what was going on, I started to do research. And that was in about 2003. I started researching 
and found out, whoa, there's nothing going on in my whole half of the state and very little going on anywhere else. So I started actively reaching out to Muslims at that point. And then about a year later, this person came over and, as I said, um, drilled me and trained me. We call him Brother E. And he has been a, a really great help and developed what we call the Path of the Prophets, which is the method of evangelism we use. We have a free tract of it posted online. And it uses what Muslims know that is true from Bible characters they know and from the little bit they know about blood sacrifice to tie everything in so that by the time they've heard the gospel through that, although they usually don't believe it right away, they will actually say things like, that makes sense, that answers a lot of my questions. Mm -hmm. You're the first Christian I've spoken to that makes sense. Or, so Jesus is the Lamb of God. I mean, we get these, like, aha, shining moments of understanding when we explain the gospel to Muslims in a loving way, using what they already know. Most people think about that happening in their life. There's an automatic fallback to, which is understandable. It's the way I feel just off the bat is, gosh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach this and and where to go. And I'm not confident enough or, you know, I don't have the tools. And that's the great thing about your resources that you have online. Uh, but what do you say to somebody who who feels that and experiences that, what's your encouragement for them? Well, I see that this person could be in one of two categories, one of which is they already know Muslims, the school with them or they work with them or there's someone in their family. So they're already connected. And for them, they're looking for some kind of a bridge to get into a productive discussion. And then you have people, I'm sure many of those listening, who don't have any connections with Muslims and either are afraid of them or would mm -hmm. like to reach them, but they really don't know how or why or where. And so we can talk about either of those categories, whatever you think your listeners would appreciate. You, you know, I think both. If you wouldn't mind touching on both, that would be appreciated. Okay. Our training tells people that whenever you are connected with a Muslim, you should do one of three things. One is build bridges, the other is share truth, the third one is challenge falsehood. And depending on the setting you are in, you can use one or more of those. And in fact, for somebody like me who really likes this concept and finds it so much simplifies what we're doing, it's like a job description, I apply it not only to meeting Muslims, but anybody in your life. Either you are building bridges with them to have a good connection as a person, or you are building a bridge to tell them the truth, such as the gospel or other truth that we know from the Bible. So you're either sharing with them the truth when God opens that door, which you willingly walk through, or sometimes you are in a situation where you need to challenge falsehood. We don't recommend doing that up front. Usually, uh, they will bring up things that you will need to address. But sooner or later, what we have found and what Brother E drilled into me and I have subsequently found is true, is that it's so difficult to leave Islam. Even if someone believes in Jesus and the Christian doctrines and you've made it that far, unless they are convinced Islam is wrong, 
they're not going to leave. So eventually you do need to get to that point. And unless you are in a debate or on a debating website, we don't recommend that you take that as the initial approach. With women, sometimes I have uh, used women's issues as a bridge to that person and a challenge at the same time. But mostly we recommend building bridges that show you care. And on our website, we offer a free training manual called Building Bridges with Muslims, mm -hmm. training manual for building bridges with Muslims. So they can get that through our website. And we also have a, a video on that they can get through the website. So that will show you different ways to do it. Because what we've tried to do, Bruce, is make it really simple. So we have names for our bridges, little gimmicky names, like the first one I call the magic word bridge. And I and Brother E and former Muslims I know, and my own experience speaking to literally thousands of Muslims, is that this magic word works. And it's <laughs> assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. It means peace be upon you. If you can't remember the Arabic, I mean, if you can, just repeat that in the podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Mm -hmm. Really try to memorize that. That is the most important, stellar, bright, shining thing that you can do that will help you connect with Muslims anywhere in the world. And because you are saying that to them, that is their international greeting. No matter what language the Muslim speaks, they will say that and uh. they know that it means a couple of things it means you come in peace it means you respect their culture and then on top of that they are culturally bound to give peace back to you and by the time you've done that you're already friends and people are smiling i mean it really is like a magic word so i encourage anyone who either knows muslims or mm -hmm. wants to to learn that and even if you're a little shy if yeah. you're next to someone in line, smile at them and say, assalamu alaikum, wow, they will be so open. Now, usually, depending on the setting, what would be your next bridge? Mm -hmm. It would either be what I call the Esther bridge or a chat bridge or a tract bridge. So say it's somebody that you're sitting next to in school or you works in a, a pod next to you. You can say assalamu alaikum. They say, whoa, you know our word. That's great. Wa alaikum assalam. And then you say something to them. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm really interested in religions and how they're the same and different. I'm a Christian, and I'd love to get together with you sometime for a coffee and chat about it. Mm -hmm. Literally, something like that. And I know in our culture that's hard to do because Americans don't want to be put on the spot. They don't want to talk about religion. But... Muslim immigrants and Muslim Americans have a totally different worldview. To them, everything revolves around religion, and they are usually more than happy to meet with you. So I use the Esther Bridge with Muslims I already know or know well, and also mm -hmm. with people I meet on open outreach. If they show an interest, I will say, hey, would you like to meet for coffee sometime? One time I did that on a campus outreach, I was actually a little reluctant to go to this woman because she was in black and very covered. And, you know, like yeah. any American, I have to say, okay, Lord, help me. If there's a door, I will speak to her. So I did assalamu alaikum and smiled, gave her the holiday tract and the tract for Muslims. And then said, would you like to meet for coffee? And she said, sure. How about now? So we started a great relationship, which I called pre-discipleship. 
Mm -hmm. And I've been meeting with her regularly for over three years now. And wow. usually people that get into that kind of relationship with me do become Christians. So I call it pre-discipleship because I'm teaching them, again, sharing truth. I'm teaching them what the Bible says of the Christian worldview, little by little, shuiya shuiya, as they say in Arabic, they're getting to learn a little more. And because of the style of doing it, which we also teach on our website, which is just salt shaker, just usually putting it into whatever the situation that you're in that day, they're usually interested. And you kind of uh, go back and forth off of that, what their interest is, and stop before they're overwhelmed or mm -hmm. angry. Occasionally, they get angry. And, you know, that's actually not a bad thing. You sometimes back off a little while, but then you come back to them and, you know, people work beyond that. And if they do get a little angry, remember, as long as you're giving them information and love, they have to process it. And these are not easy things for people to process. Right. Finding out, you know, that everything they've always believed is not accurate. As you know from your own experience working with Jehovah's Witness and Muslims, you know, it's hard to mm. have your worldview shattered. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like the roof being pulled off your house. Mm -hmm. You you are a white, blonde-haired female. And a lot of people listening might go, hold it now. Why are they listening to you? How, aren't they, don't they reject that? Isn't that get them angry that you talk to a Muslim about, about this? Maybe explain that a little more for people so that they understand the difference between talking to somebody here in America that's come over that's Muslim versus somebody who's in the their natural country that they come from. Right. Well, that's what I want to say about it being an advantage because I do work with Arab and other ethnic Christians that work with Muslims, and we have noticed that Muslims are much more likely to get into a combative argument with them than they are with dumb blonde Cynthia White American who they think knows nothing. They haven't mm -hmm. seen the size of my Islamic library or, you know, read some of the things I've written. And I, I'm not there to tell them about that. I mean, sooner or later, they do come to realize that I know a lot. Many times they say to me, whoa, you know more about Islam than we do. But I think it does open many doors, and I would like our American Christian brothers and sisters to see this, mm -hmm. that most Muslim immigrants really want to be accepted by Americans. Most of them are here for the same reasons anybody else comes here. They want to have a good life. Yes, I have met some radicals. I've met some that admit they're missionaries. I've met some that I think are, well, I know are extremists and possibly terrorists, but most of them know. And to them, the fact that somebody who looks really American is an encouragement. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean you have to be blonde, but for somebody like me who's older, I present myself as American auntie. And yeah. I don't say American mom because then you're actually offering to take on people's debts. And I don't think most of your listeners want to do that. So don't presume and call yourself I'm your American mom or American dad. But if you present yourself as, hey, I love immigrants or refugees, and I'm here to answer your questions. If you have any questions about America or how to live here or the differences between Christianity and Islam, mm. you just offer yourself. And I mm -hmm. find that is really huge. And for 
those of your listeners who have studied evangelism or taken the perspective course. Yeah. Did you take that, Bruce, or maybe I, you didn't, but you can know what I'm talking about. These yes, I look through like the... 0, E1, E2, E3 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That means that sometimes a person is more open to listening to someone from a totally different ethnic group than they are to someone who's a little bit from a group they have a little prejudice against, yeah. who is closer related. And I have found this a lot in ethnic evangelism. Working with Indians, I found it because of the caste system. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they will be more willing to listen to an American or talk to me than another ethnic person. And in Islam, we find that also. So it is an advantage for us in that way. Now, granted, we don't know their cultures as much or their languages, and those things are disadvantages. But I don't think we should discard or disregard the advantages that Americans have in reaching out to Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists in America. Do you have uh, an example for people that you could give that maybe goes through how somebody came from a Muslim world, how they're reached out to you by you or somebody else, and then and then the change and the effect that it's had on them and the difference that they feel? I, you know, I'm thinking like Huda in, in your videos that you have, somebody like that, and, and what that's then done to their life and how it's changed them. Oh my, yes, I have seen that happen, and it's very encouraging. Huda is not the only one. We will share with large numbers of people that we don't know, like say at a mosque or at a large event. Occasionally, we do get feedback from them. And I'll tell you this story, which I love. Someone was referred to me to disciple a former Muslim who lived not far from me. And when I heard her story of the two things that really brought her to the Lord, One was she had recently had a series of three dreams. But the other thing she told me was 10 years ago, I lived in a different area. I lived in Southern California and someone came to the mosque and started talking to me, telling jokes in a happy way and gave me a paper. And she said, I understand Arabic, but I couldn't read it. So I took it home and showed my husband and he said, That's a foolish thing. That's trash from Christians. And he threw it out. She Mm -hmm. didn't even read it. But she said, to this day, I remember that person and the joy that was in him. And she said, I know this sounds crazy, but it's like there was a shaft of light from heaven that came down on him. And I never forgot it. And to tell you what excites me about that, Bruce, I said, I think I know who that is. (laughs) And I found out what was the mosque she was at, what was the time, who was doing outreach. It was Brother E, the guy who works with me and trained me. I showed her his picture and she said, yes, that was him. (laughs) So why I tell you that is an encouragement because once in a while we hear these things. Mm -hmm. So here's Brother E distributing this. He doesn't know know, what what happens to it. We never know if we're doing wide-scale outreach, if it does any good but we just do it in faith because the bible says the knowledge of the lord should cover the earth as the waters cover the sea so we feel Mm -hmm. like let's get the word of god out there and then the holy spirit has something to work on but to hear this happening was really encouraging so anything that your listeners do god might be using even up to 10 years down the line to win someone out of 
Islam or any other faith and to bring them into the gospel light and truth. And I have met with this woman over the last several years since then, maybe about three years, and she has also shown no tendency to go back, just like Huda now over 10 years has not shown any tendency to go back to Islam. How does that affect the people around them? Uh, are they ostracized or does it give them an opening? What, how does that work out? Yeah, it's usually not easy. Huda did receive a death threat. Thank God she's in America and she is still safe. This mm -hmm. other woman I told you about who received the track from the basically angel with the hate <laughs> on him, she has been very cautious about letting people know she has continued to wear her scarf. She does not want to have her husband's family know she's actually gone through a divorce, but this is in America. But yeah. since she came out of such a strict Islamic background, both from her own family and from her husband's family, she's very, very cautious. So mm -hmm. I do know quite a bit who are very cautious. That is why it was amazing that Huda would allow her discipleship to be filmed. It was almost unreal. And that yeah. is basically the basis for this website. Mm -hmm. I had previously done another television series and after Huda came to the Lord, who was one of the first ones who did through our ministry, I started thinking, hey, you know, reality shows are all the thing now. What if we did this? Yeah. At the same time, I know you're not supposed to put new believers in the spotlight because they don't handle it well. And that is so true. But in her case, she wasn't in there as an expert. She's in there as a seeker. Mm -hmm. And what I love is the questions she asks come right out of the Muslim way of thinking. So that's why people watching these videos and then learning from the study guides that accompany them, they can really see how Muslims think in advance of when they go to talk to a Muslim. And just even for like her, you did the first Christmas she had with her over, I'm assuming it was your house. And right. uh, that was, you know, just exciting to see kind of the joy on her face and what you go over and. Right, we take it for granted. Yeah. And the holiday season is really a good time for people to reach out. It gives them an excuse. It's kind of maybe a crutch for people that are a little shy. They mm -hmm. can easily say, hey, do you know the Christmas story? Would you like to hear? Because Islam really only has basically the angel coming to Mary. They don't have all these details of the shepherds and the wise men and all these beautiful things. So we build on that little connection that they know something. In fact, the Quran is very similar to what the Bible says in Luke 135 about the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. Mm. So we build on that truth, tell them the rest, and they're fascinated. We've done it, you know, many times, and a lot of those people did go on to become believers. So mm. I would encourage that. As far as the other, a little more detail on the other question you asked about how do they handle it in the wrong, long run, we yeah. have had some that have gone back overseas as secret believers, and I do worry about them. Please pray about them. I know one was arrested and oh. basically had to deny his faith to survive. Yep. You know, and I don't think anyone listening here should judge that because yeah. how do we deny the Lord in our lives every day? But I am praying for him that 
was just what he was saying, that he didn't mean it. But we do know others that are, have tried to get out. We tried to rescue one. We had everything all set up, and I was going to meet her at the airport. And at the last minute, she backed out and said, no, it's too dangerous. I can't do it. She was afraid even to take that little step that would get her to the safe connection. Right. So I guess what we're finding is for people that go overseas, and I'm working with another one right now who's going to be going overseas permanently and trying to teach her everything I can before she goes. But when they go overseas, it is risky. If they stay in America, it is risky, but not nearly, not nearly as much. Right. There's an Iranian woman at our church who had become a Christian from a Muslim, and uh, that's going back home. She's done a couple of times, but it's the risk now is just almost too high. She doesn't doesn't do it. Right. And Iran goes back and forth, and right now it's definitely in a bad attitude towards Christians. That's for yeah. Sure. Yeah. I wanted to uh, kind of end on one thing, which is if you could maybe just give a highlight of some of the people that are working with you and their background, I think it'd be great for people to hear the different mix that you have in there because it is a truly cool group of people that you have together there working on this. So maybe you could go over that. I host the website and I do some of the uh, teaching, a lot of the teaching, but we also have other leaders in the field both internationally and nationally. You did mention Nabil Qureshi. He has passed on to his reward now, but we do feature his testimony and some of his comments on miracles. We do a lot with George Husney, who directs Horizons International and International Crossroads. And he does work with Muslims here and overseas. He's been doing it for probably about 50 years. And George Sayek, who is a really close partner of ours, we do a lot of outreach with us with him. And he is on several of the videos. He is one of the guys I most respect because he doesn't just talk about it, he does it. And he does it all the time. He regularly leads big outreaches to Muslim areas. He goes to the mosque and his people go to mosque every Friday. And he is a wonderful guy. We have some videos by Jewish background believer Bob Siegel. Jews go through a lot of the same things that Muslims do mm -hmm. as far as the ideas of God becoming a man and Trinity because they have this strong idea like Muslims do called Tawheed, they call it in Islam, the oneness of God. The unforgivable sin in Islam is to ascribe a partner to God, which means say Jesus is God and the Trinity. Even one of the Islamic institutes I went to said, if you die with a cross on, you're going to hell. You have no chance of ever getting out of hell. Wow. So the Jews, as you know from the Bible, historically have really been protective of that. Although we can use Isaiah 62 as a good example of how Trinity is in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. I think it helps to hear Bob Siegel's story of his background. So we have him. We do have a couple of things, one or two more coming from Fouad Masri of Crescent Project. Then we have a lot of Christian brothers and sisters that also contribute. Because what we've tried to do first for the television series and now that we've put it on the website is make a very diverse program. It's not just going to be two people behind a desk for a half an hour. So we have multiple little segments. Some of them are reality clips of what's going on, usually in Huda's life, 
which ties into our lesson. Uh-huh. And the lesson, we have cameos from other speakers. We have segments called Questions Muslims Ask. We have some travel segments that show a few areas of the Middle East from a Christian perspective. So we have these little segments divided up into small videos, of which we have about 150 posted. And then under the lessons section, which I really want to encourage your listeners to check out, half-hour lessons with the study guides. So basically, any one of your lecturers, unless they have some disability, Mm -hmm. I mean, any one of your listeners should be able to go to that lesson section. Currently, we have 16. We have another maybe 20 coming. They can play the one half hour lesson for their Sunday school or study group or college, Christian college, mm-hmm. and then refer to the handout if they want more detail or talk about the study questions. So it's an easy, cheap Sunday school class that's taught by experts, not just me, but many other people who contribute knowledge to how to bring Muslims to be Christians. So wow. I always say Christian from Muslim. That's great. Well, Dr. Cynthia, one, great having you on and love what you're doing. I, I think one of the biggest things for me is that sometimes just let my world get too small in in my Christian views and what's going on out there. And this helps just expand it and get it back to where it is. There's a lot of great things to be praying for here for me, as well as you know people that are listening uh, to pray for you, your ministry, for all the Muslims that you're trying to reach, for all the different ethnic groups out there that need to have lights in the world that give the love Amen. and truth that Jesus Christ gave to us. And, and so I just wanna thank you again for being with us and encourage everybody listening to take advantage of this resource free resource with all this information and guidance to help you really take on that commitment of the Great Commission out to the world to to these people that need it so badly. 20% of the people in America now were born overseas. Wow. When I read that recently, I was just astounded. And that's not even talking about those born here or the, you know, second or third generation. So America is so different than right. when you and I were kids, Bruce. Yeah. So the mission field is now here. That's why Brother E, who trained me, said when we and still does when we go to churches or something, he will say, "Sister, these these Americans, they shouldn't go overseas to preach to Muslims. They should preach to Muslims in America. Here you know the language and the culture. People go to overseas, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture. By the time they learn a little, they leave and come back. So we really <laughs> do believe." that this is where we can reach the world now. We still have the right in America, it's eroding a bit, but we still have the right and they are here. And I feel like God sent them here to make it easy for us. It's almost embarrassing that Mm. Christians didn't get the world evangelized. So he's making it really easy for us. He's sending right next to us. So I hope that your listeners will get inspired and will reach out. And if they don't have any right next door, maybe go across town. Mm. go to a market where they might meet someone. Great perspective. And and again, God bless you. Thank you so much for taking this time with us. You too, Brother Bruce. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye.